And another great day in this greatest nation on God's green earth, a great nation that is involved in a great struggle at the very heart of Eastern Europe. It is a, a struggle between right and wrong, good and evil, some of us believe. And yet, uh, right now, the side of liberty, the side of enlightenment, appears to be stalled. There was a devastating piece in the Wall Street Journal by Ambassador John Bolton under the heading, Blame Biden's Hesitancy for Stalling Ukraine's Offensive. Paralyzed by fear of Russian escalation, the administration has sought only to stave off defeat. Uh, John Bolton, of course, is a former U.N. ambassador. He is the former national security advisor to President Donald Trump, the author of the best-selling book, The Room Where It Happened, a White House memoir. Uh, what has Biden done wrong regarding the war in Ukraine, Ambassador Bolton? Well, from the beginning, he, he failed to deter the Russians from attacking in the first place. Uh, I, I don't know that it was possible to deter, but he didn't try. And that set a pattern that uh, the Russians observed very carefully. Uh, they were able to deter Biden from, from supplying Ukraine with weapons and other assistance early. We had to fight over each and every uh, substantial new weapons component that uh, the Ukrainians requested and that NATO considered. Uh, so the, none of this was supplied in a strategic fashion, and it's one reason why the spring offensive uh, didn't take place until it did, because the Ukrainians didn't have the equipment and the wherewithal that they needed. That allowed the Russians to dig in to fortify the territory in eastern and southern Ukraine that they had occupied, and that helps explain why we're in gridlock right now. What, what I really worry about at the moment is, is sometime in the next 30, 60 days, if the gridlock continues, if the southern uh, uh, battlefields look pretty much the same as they do today, uh, I'm worried that Putin will try and take advantage of this, uh, make a public speech, call for a ceasefire, call for negotiations, saying, oh, the war has gone on so long, let's, let's end it. Uh, and, and plenty of people in Europe, in France, in Germany, and I'm worried even the Biden administration here will take him up on that. Surely negotiations will solve the problem, they would say. Once that happens, Russia has a new boundary with Ukraine. Whatever the line of control is at that point, that's what Russia keeps, which would be at a very high price to Russia in terms of human lives and casualties, to be sure. But they have doubled the, the, the amount of territory in Ukraine that they now hold. And allowing Putin that victory would be a big mistake for the U.S. and the West as a whole. Uh, what uh, needs to be changed in terms of NATO policy generally? Uh, what kind of new initiative, uh, if any, uh, would you recommend for the Biden administration? Well, I would certainly try and do everything I could to get uh, weapon systems. The, the, the F-16 uh, is, is a perfect example of it. Uh, it takes time to train the Ukrainians. We could have been training them six or eight months ago. Uh, but but I, think, I think that needs to be rationalized and expedited. Our European allies have got to step up and do what they had pledged. Germany, for example, still has not done anything close to what they said they were going to do. But we also need to find more ways to put pressure on Russia. Uh, you know, the politicians in Europe and the U.S. have touted the economic sanctions imposed on Russia. Here's the sad reality. They have not brought Russia's economy down. Putin is not on his knees economically. 
China, India, other countries have, in effect, come to Russia's rescue. Uh, and we, we, this is a much larger subject than Ukraine, but the economic sanctions paradigm needs uh, real enforcement, hard enforcement, vigorous enforcement to prevent the targets from, from mitigating or escaping entirely the effect of the sanctions. And probably I, number you, one on the list of countries that, that needs sanctions applied to it is China, which is the main offstage supporter of the Russians in this war. You uh, you worked with President Trump, and of course that's what the room where it happened is about, your White House memoir. Uh, do you believe uh, that he could handle the conflict in Ukraine more effectively than President Biden? No, I don't. I don't, I don't think he to this day understands what the conflict is all about. Over the past uh, year and a half since the war began, he said a variety of things up to and including most recently that if he could get Zelensky and Putin in a room together, he could solve the problem in 24 hours. That's just pure fantasy. Uh, and I very much fear that uh, that he still basically believes Ukraine is part of Russia, belongs to Russia, and that the way to solve the problem is to give Putin what he wants in Ukraine, and then, then he won't use force anymore. And in, in part of the bigger picture, though, I'm worried that that uh, this would simply expedite his desire to withdraw the United States from NATO, which I think he would have done had he won in 2020, and which I think he would certainly try and do if he if he won next year. Uh, you have a tweet recently. You say the one thing that may change minds about Trump is a conviction. That would be an earthquake. GOP primary voters need to know that if you vote for Trump, he may be a convicted felon by the time we reach our convention. It could be catastrophic for the Republican Party. Your comment on your own tweet? Well, this is something people have got to start thinking about. I mean, the the... The, the schedule for the various trials still up in the air. We don't know, in fact, whether any of them will come to trial before the November 2024 election. I, I think it's likely one or perhaps both of the federal cases will. Um, and, you know, people who, 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 uh, who cover this will grind the details into the dirt. People will lose sight of it. It's clear four indictments have not weakened Trump politically within the Republican Party. I think the one thing that could would be a jury of his peers uh, convicting him on on one or more of these charges, uh, then then he can add the term convicted felon to his resume. And even if Do there you... are Republicans, and I'm sad to say there are, who would vote for a convicted felon, uh, the vast majority of the American people would not. It would doom the Republican Party, I think, to inevitable, perhaps crushing defeat next November. Do you uh, have a preferred alternative um, to President Trump? Uh, I don't at this point. I do think the debate coming up on uh, next week on August the 23rd may, may be a pivot that people ought to look and say, are any of the people on that stage catching fire? Uh, and if they are, well, uh, ha have at it and see what happens. And if they're not, they ought to look in a mirror and say, uh, should I continue or is now the right time to get out? Uh, you had uh, spoken uh, last time, I think it was, four years ago, about the possibility of a presidential candidacy, uh, that's no longer an operative possibility for John Bolton. Well, I, I consider myself uh, a potential uh, competitor, as they say in antitrust law, standing at the water's edge. Uh, I, I don't. I don't think we've had 
enough uh, of a real examination why Donald Trump is unfit to lead the country. Uh, I don't really believe his support within the Republican Party is what some recent national polls show. I think it's people who just don't like Biden and are reacting, going going to their respective corners like fighters do. Uh, but I think uh, Republicans have to solve this problem. Democrats aren't going to solve it for us. The media is not going to solve it for us. Uh, he was our nominee in 2016. we got to make sure he's not our nominee in 2024. Uh, John Bolton, his book, The Room Where It Happened, a White House memoir, is a, a stunning read and uh, an important read. Uh, it's posted up at our website at michaelmedved.com. Uh, John Bolton uh, was the assistant to the president for national security affairs at uh, the White House under President uh, Trump. Uh, coming up, uh, we're going to be talking about the reasons that the homeless flocked to San Francisco and what this has meant for a building named in honor of the Speaker Emerita Nancy Pelosi. Uh, that and more coming up uh, here on The Medved Show. 1-800-955-1776, our phone number. And there's more about the widespread uh, GOP support for President Trump, even from a lot of his competitors. We're going to be there at the debate a week from tonight, uh, who basically condemn the indictments more than they do the uh, subject of those indictments. Michael Medved. You is the grooviest. And on the Michael Medved show, uh, Mike Pence uh, was speaking in Indianapolis today, uh, the same state capital where he was formerly governor. He's running now for president. Uh, his race has been troubled. It has not uh, generated the kind of enthusiasm or even respect that I think that Mike Pence deserves. But uh, he made uh, this point in response to the most recent indictments that uh, have befallen President Trump, uh, his former running mate. Uh, this is clip number one. ...have said for now more than two and a half years, and continue to insist to this very hour, the Georgia election was not stolen, and I had no right to overturn the election on January 6th. It's a hard truth. My friend Governor Brian Kemp said it well yesterday. He said, for quote, for nearly three years, anyone with evidence of fraud has failed to come forward to provide evidence in a court of law regarding the Georgia elections. And uh, then there was Chris Christie appearing on Fox News. Uh, Fox News is going to be hosting the debate a week from tonight. And uh, he addressed the idea that there was somehow something illegitimate of indicting Trump in the middle of a presidential campaign. A clip 18. Running for president is his choice. No one else is making him do it. But it is not an excuse not for the justice system to continue to operate. And, and I think all of these judges, in the end, will make decisions based upon 
reasonable availability of all the witnesses and everyone else. And in the end, what Donald Trump has to deal with is this is not a civil case. He's never been involved in criminal cases before. He's been involved in civil cases where you can just put it off and like it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. He is out on bail in three different jurisdictions. Usually when you're charged, people are often people are remanded and they stay in prison prior to prior to the trial. He's been given release on all three and he'll be released confidently in the fourth uh, uh, one. Okay, uh, there's also uh, Ron DeSantis issuing a statement in response to the Trump indictment and uh, uh, trying to relate it to his own service as governor in uh, the state of Florida and uh, the firing that he was involved with of two different DAs. Uh, this is Ron DeSantis, clip two. Okay, what are we going to do about it? And I've already said as president, you know, we are going to end the weaponization of federal agencies like the DOJ and FBI. We'll have a new director. We will have new leadership in the DOJ. Uh, we're going to make sure that there's a single standard of justice in this country. Now, in terms of some of these local DAs, in Florida, we've actually uh, suspended two, one in Tampa, one in Orlando, uh, over the last year uh, for failure to, to, to follow their duties and responsibilities. And as president, uh, we will lean in uh, against some of these local prosecutors if they are not uh, following the law or if they are abandoning their duty to enforce the law, law evenly. So um, I think that I don't know how it's going to affect anything politically. Uh, for me, at the end of the day, it's about, you know, let's get this country in a good direction. Uh, we need to have confidence in our justice system again. But before we get there, you know, we need major, major accountability. Okay, uh, the idea of a president being more involved with the Department of Justice, isn't that the uh, opposite of de-weaponizing uh, the Department of Justice? It's, it's uh, one of those things where uh, there are reasons that uh, Ron DeSantis has been uh, stumbling, flailing, failing uh, in his presidential campaign. Uh, Tim Scott was often considered uh, a rising star, somebody who could come up as an alternative to DeSantis for the presidency because of his optimistic tone and his ability as a communicator and his great popularity in the U.S. Senate, where he is very popular. But on this issue, the issue of Trump's most recent uh, indictments, uh, Tim Scott didn't take it exactly take the bull by the horns. This is clip 55. We all heard that phone call with the former president, then president at the time, where he said, just find me the requisite number of votes that I would need. Doesn't that feel anti-American? Doesn't that feel like not what a president should do? Well, we should continue to say it as I see it, which is that we see the legal system being weaponized against political opponents. That is un-American and unacceptable. And at the end of the day, uh, we need a better system than that. And I frankly hope to be the president of the United States where we have an opportunity to restore confidence and integrity in all of our departments of justice yeah, in the country. Yeah, but that phone call, you heard it, right? Yes, but I, I, we've just drawn different conclusions. And next question. You think it's fine? You would do that as president? You would look through yeah, the hey, amount of votes? Um, the uh, uh, the uh, refusal to acknowledge <laughs> that it's at very best inappropriate to be speaking to the Secretary of State and to say, I need you to find uh, the 11,780 votes. 
uh, probably not a perfect phone call. And uh, there is also this Trump ad and uh, a Trump ad about the DOJ and Biden and the treatment by the DOJ of the Biden family. This is clip five. Joe, how come your Justice Department goes after Trump endlessly, yet they cover for your family? Hunter's laptop? Yeah, that was censored. But we know that laptop's real. And it's not just filled with photos of Hunter's drug-fueled debauchery, either. Nah, it showed Hunter pocketed millions from foreign partners, cash from Ukrainian and Chinese interests accused of bribery and fraud. And remember when you claimed your family never made money from China? Well, Hunter admitted in court he took their cash. His Chinese business partner was tied to the Communist Party. How did Hunter's partners get meetings at the White House? Your brother, grandkids, even nieces and nephews got paid from foreign deals. Your family and their cronies raked in over 17 million from these schemes. And you, Joe, went from being one of the poorest in Congress to a millionaire in the White House. Come on, Joe. All this a coincidence or corruption? Make America Great Again, Inc. is responsible for the content of this advertising. Uh, this uh, Make America Great Again, Inc. is a super PAC uh, in behalf of Donald Trump. Uh, there are more ads and more controversy and, and also th this story that uh, just knocked me out is from the New York Times and it's a piece about Charles Conan who is co-founder of the submersible manufacturer C Magazine Hydrospace who estimates that there are now 200 manned vessels uh, in private possession worldwide. Some are used by scientific institutions, others for tourism, and a growing number belong to a small group of yacht owners. So what do you need to get one of these submersibles? Well, a ticket aboard a submarine tour, like the one that ended in the five people dying in the sub-Titan while en route to the Titanic shipwreck in June, is too pricey for most people. Owning a submersible requires another level of wealth and boating infrastructure. What is that level of wealth and infrastructure? We'll get to that and more coming up on the Medved Show. It is outrageous what you are saying. Michael Medved. This is outrageous. Attention, your withdrawal has been denied by the U.S. government. on the Michael Medved show uh, talking uh, about a piece about the uh, new craze for submersibles uh, the headline submersibles the new big thing for quest seeking yacht owners and uh, only sufficiently large yachts at least 120 feet can hold a sub which costs hold on to your seat 2 million to 7 million that doesn't include the cost of a crane to lower the sub, the speedboat needed uh, to board, 
and services such as map making and guides that can run about $15,000 per day. It's not like a fancy car, said uh, Charles Conan, who makes these submersibles. It's more like a $5 million spacecraft. Uh, just as having a helicopter and launch pad on a yacht was hot in the 1980s, Conan said, getting a personable submersible is increasingly a thing for the wealthy. Ofer Ketter, whose company Submerge caters to personal sub-owners, sees a similar trend. You have a mega yacht, a super yacht, a submersible that has become the next thing to have, he said. Uh, deep sea explorations have a growing fan base among the elite. Filmmaker James Cameron and billionaire investor Ray Dalio have uh, both donated vessels to the Woods Hole Oceanographic Institution and invested in the submersible manufacturer Triton Submarines. Dalio said it was about discovery. The ocean is the greatest resource we have, he said. It's twice the size of all continents combined and underexplored. This actually goes to some of the concerns that people have. Marianne Williamson was talking about it. Everybody talks about it. Is uh, Most people in the country don't like what's been happening with the economy. They're paying more for food, for gasoline. Gasoline is back up. The soft landing that we were all hoping for and expecting from uh, avoiding a recession, who knows? The market went down big time today. It went down big time yesterday. And the difference between uh, people who can even think about spending $2 million on a submersible uh, that uh, that doesn't really generate anything other than providing you with uh, some thrills and some satisfaction. Yeah, we uh, don't even live there. These are little two-person submersibles. And uh, it, it just is one of those extraordinary emphases of the distance between uh, people at the top in America, economically, and, uh, and people uh, who uh, have a tougher time paying the bills or repaying college loans, if you will. Uh, there's a piece in the New York Post today, and the New York Post is, of course, a great source of conservative opinion. The piece is by Dan McLaughlin, who also writes for National Review, and he's joining us tomorrow. And uh, he writes that nominating Trump again would be a disaster for Republicans. The criminal charges are one of the biggest reasons why, even if you think that's unfair, it's reality. Even before the criminal charges, Trump was deeply hated by half the country and disliked by a lot more than half. He already lost to Biden once, and that was before January 6th. Opinion polls continue to show large majorities of Americans want nothing to do with what happened January 6th. Trump is also 77 years old, which makes it hard for him to make a case against the 80-year-old Biden's age. Now, on top of all that, he's an accused felon and could be a convicted felon by Election Day. He'll be in and out of courtrooms for months instead of campaigning. He's spending, by some accounts, as much as half the money he raises on legal defenses instead of on running campaign ads or getting the vote out. That will get worse. 
trials are really expensive, and Trump has at least five of them coming up, if you include the New York Attorney General civil fraud suit. Because Trump's campaign is spending more than it takes in, he'll need a bailout from the Republican National Committee so his campaign doesn't go broke. That's more donor money wasted, and it will hurt Republicans running for every other office. The indictments will also keep Trump focused on talking about the 2020 election. And that, to me, Dan McLaughlin, that's the big point, is every hour we spend debating the 2020 election, which is over, which is in the past, which is finished, keeping Trump focused on talking about the 2020 election, which will keep January 6th on everyone's mind and make it harder to talk about the economy, the border, schools, China, or Joe Biden's woke social policies, or not to mention any of the Joe Biden scandals. Trump's legal problems will continue to push the Hunter Biden scandals out of the news and give Joe's defenders an easy way to say, well, Trump is worse. I know the response, writes McLaughlin. Trump's defenders will say that if Republicans let these indictments choose their candidate, every future campaign will, future, will feature criminal charges aimed at picking the Republican nominee. That's not really true. Trump did a lot to make his own messes. But even if it were true, it doesn't change the reality that Trump has damaged goods and a different candidate would have a better chance to win and put a stop to it. In fact, nominating Trump just to get retribution, as he says, for these indictments still means letting the indictments decide the nomination. And that's what many Democrats want because they think Trump is easier to beat. In 2022, Democrats spent more than $53 million boosting Republican candidates who ran on Trump's claims that the 2020 election was stolen. Remember that? They funded people like Mastriano in Pennsylvania and, uh, and all across the country. And most of those candidates won their nominations as Republican primary voters fell for the trap. Every single one of them lost in November. Republican voters shouldn't fall for it again. Trump's problems are only going to get worse from here, he writes. Republicans don't need to make those problems their own. Um, meanwhile, the problems don't go away with people criticizing the, um, the new indictments from Fawny Willis. And uh, the idea of uh, scheduling that trial, scheduling the Jack Smith trial, scheduling even the Alvin Bragg trial and the other Jack Smith trial on the documents, the one he has the toughest time of uh, winning, at least according to some. Well, all of that keeps us away from talking about things like um, what's going on in San Francisco. Uh, the claim that enough subsidized housing will solve the homelessness problem is belied by San Francisco's efforts. This is the opinion of Judge Glock of the Manhattan Institute, where he's research director. In the past 15 years, the city of San Francisco has created more than 7,000 permanent housing units, enough to house every homeless person at the beginning of the period. 
But the problem has grown worse. That 11% of the homeless population was already living in subsidized or government housing before becoming homeless, again, most likely, shows that more housing is insufficient to stop the crisis. Although the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals has put limits on what cities can do to remove encampments, some cities under its jurisdiction, such as Las Vegas, have managed to expand existing laws against street camping and provide affordable shelter alternatives. Um, meanwhile, uh, more alternatives in terms of focusing positively on change in America. Coming up on... On the Michael Medved show, uh, we were talking about this uh, homeless uh, disaster in San Francisco. And uh, part of it is, has even been seen around the Pelosi building. Now, this is not Nancy Pelosi's home that was invaded by a crazy crackpot who uh, beat her 80-something husband with a hammer. Uh, no, this is different. This is reported in the San Francisco Chronicle uh, this week. Uh, officials at the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services advised hundreds of employees in San Francisco to work remotely for the foreseeable future uh, due to public safety concerns outside the Nancy Pelosi Federal Building on 7th Street. The memo came on the same day that, according to Axios, President Biden's White House chief of staff called for more federal employees to return to their offices after years of remote work. The building has long been a locus of some of the city's most intractable problems. Uh, dozens of dealers routinely plant themselves on next to or across the street from the property. This is the federal building. Operating in shifts as users smoke, snort, or shoot up their recent purchases. The property's concrete benches are in especially an especially popular site for users to get high, to socialize, or just to pass out. While Pelosi's five-person staff was not advised to work remotely, she raised concerns about the building's tenant safety last week in a meeting with the U.S. Attorney for the Northern District of California. The uh, safety of workers in our federal buildings has always been a priority for Speaker Emerita Pelosi, especially in the building or on their commutes, uh, Pelosi spokesman Aaron Bennett said in a statement. In other words, even in this building that is supposed to be a showcase for liberal policies, y you see what the liberal policies have done to the city of San Francisco right outside the door of the federal building. It's an appalling situation. It was just totally appalling. And meanwhile, there is a, an ad from a Win It Back PAC, which is a conservative uh, Stop Trump uh, kind of organization. That ad uh, sounds like this. This is Eclipse 6. What I thought of Trump when he first came on the scene, to use a pop culture term, he came out with the spotlight already on him. He won my vote. He flipped me from independent to Republican. And it was, it was a great four years. Now, the spotlight is just as heavy on him, but I feel like the light has shifted and it's a little bit darker. 
I think for 2024, Trump is not the most electable candidate. When the Democrat Party sees Trump, it's one of those things where it's like every time you turn on the news, you're winning the lottery. They're like, look what he's doing this time. You're supposed to block when the other team kicks. You're not supposed to, you know, score against your own team. He probably doesn't wake up without 50 emails from his attorneys about current or possible indictments. That's every day of his life now. And that kind of hurts me to say because I had Trump flags up in my house. I had one in my front yard. Like, I was that guy. Not, not this time. I felt like I met my hero and he let me down. So. Winnet Backpack is responsible for the content of this ad. That's Winnet Backpack. Uh, the um, uh, Rudy Giuliani, uh, not a happy camper. He is one of the defendants uh, of the 19 in this case in Fulton County, Georgia. And he went on Newsmax and had some unkind words for the uh, district attorney, uh, Fonnie Willis, who has indicted him. Uh, this is clip seven. He's a, a politician uh, and not a lawyer, not an honest, honorable lawyer. This is a ridiculous application of the racketeering statute. There's probably no one that knows it better than I do, probably some that know it as well. I was the first one to use it in white collar cases. But in major cases like the Boski case and the Milken case, uh, this is not meant for election disputes. I mean, I, this is ridiculous what she's doing. Also, I don't know if she realizes it because she seems like a pretty incompetent, sloppy prosecutor. I mean, what she did yesterday with that indictment is uh, inexcusable. If she worked for me, I'd have fired her. <laughs> it's unlikely that she's going to be working uh, for uh, Rudy Giuliani at any point. Historian John Meacham, uh, who uh, has worked with uh, President uh, Biden, he actually worked with President George Herbert Walker Bush before that. But John Meacham uh, was on MSNBC and talked about what the Georgia indictment indicates and represents. Uh, this is clip 19. He's recorded. I need to f find these votes, right? And then you have this whole uh, cast of characters uh, who've been indicted now in Fulton County who were attempting, and I use this word very, very advisedly, right? I'm not just popping off here. This was a coup d'etat. This was an attempt to seize power that was not legitimately granted by the electoral processes of the Constitution of the United States. And uh, to say it's a coup d'etat goes over the top because that implies a level of success. And uh, the one thing that is going to be most trying, it seems to me, for Fonnie Willis is pursuing the prosecution when the entire plot conspiracy uh, she was uh, concerned about went so badly and achieved so little, uh, so few of its aims. Uh, meanwhile, talking about achieving your major aims, big, splashy, animated film uh, with all kinds of very detailed animation, an interesting vocal cast, and of course, beloved characters who first came to our knowledge in the 80s, long time ago. The movie? Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's right, Mutant Mayhem. Listen.
Now it's time for Medved's Entertainment Minute. They started off as teenagers in the late 80s, and they haven't gotten any older, but their artistic ambitions have gotten more elaborate in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. Now playing in theaters everywhere. That's the little tortoises, huh? I can't believe there are other mutants. Enough talk. I dream about fighting every night. This is insane. And the guy they're fighting against mostly is a gigantic mutant fly voiced by Ice Cube. There's a lot of emphasis on the grittiness of New York City life and the desire of the turtles of the title to win acceptance and go to high school like normal kids, including an aspiring teenage journalist voiced by Ao Adabiri, who is also known as Puke Girl. Seth Rogen's name is all over the credits as one of the writers and producers of this frenetic failure that turns out more deadening than dazzling with a PG rating that probably ought to be PG-13 for sheer nastiness. Two stars for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Mutant Mayhem. And uh, the Mutant Mayhem has not been a kind of box office triumph. They, people who were expecting a Barbie, well, didn't quite arrive. Speaking of expecting a Barbie, um, a Target stores like Bud Light is all of a sudden stung by culture wars. The retailer is lowering its profit goal for the full year. Executives say that in order to help achieve even that modified goal, uh, they're going to uh, modify Pride Month promotion. And the name of the football team playing in Washington, D.C., right now it's Washington Commanders, is again under dispute. There's a group called the Native American Guardians Association, NAGA, which is demanding that the Washington Commanders change their name back to the Redskins. Why, if that was such a horrible insult? And uh, there uh, is a, a problem with hoax calls to police departments or suicide uh, hotlines around the country. And uh, a, a lot of it is related to what's called swatting. This is uh, calls aimed often at synagogues in 12 states across the country and uh, represents a real threat in terms of hate crimes. We'll talk about that situation. Also, the idea that we've talked about suicides before, real suicides, not phony ones, and uh, why the rate has gotten to the highest it's ever been. Nicholas Eberstadt of the American Enterprise Institute has researched it and has a lot to say about what is driving the rates of suicide, particularly for older people and much younger people. And uh, do criminal defendants make good presidential candidates? That's a fundamental question, which we'll be discussing with Dan McLaughlin next time, tomorrow, Thursday, in This Greatest Nation on God's Green Earth.